Improving soil quality, helping the environment, sequestering carbon, enhancing business viability and reducing the risk of flooding seems like the holy grail. A local supply chain, utility and farmer collaboration is working together with that as its aim. But we're trying to challenge in a constructive way whether existing farming practices could be made more environmentally sustainable but also more profitable. And there's an opportunity for farmers to to, to really play a part in that story. What's that all about then? And who's involved in this collaboration? All will be revealed on the Farming Programme today. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard. Hope you've had a good week. Uh, Yes, we'll be talking about sustainable landscapes and how planting cover crops between harvest and sowing can help achieve all those things. First, the week's farming headlines. The Wildlife Trusts have produced a report calling on the government to cut pesticide use by more than 50% by 2030, which is as good, if not greater, than the target set by the EU. But farming organisations have given a lukewarm reaction to the report called Reversing the Decline of Insects, saying that such matters are tightly regulated and farmers are already working to reduce any risk through integrated pest management schemes. We've spoken on several occasions on the farming programme about one of the scourges of the countryside, fly tipping. One Lincolnshire farmer has seen this turn in a new direction this week. I went and had a look at Andrew Ward's farm near Lednam. Andrew, this is more than just a few bin bags and the odd domestic appliance by the side of the road. It looks more like a landfill site. Well, you're quite right. It is different to the norm. We used to moan and whinge about the fridge in a hedge bottom, black bin liners uh, around. But this, as you can see, is thousands of black bin liners. The heap is probably 12 to 15 feet high, probably 25, um, 25, 20 yards long. Um, and there's just any amount of different material in it. You've got child's toys, you've got carpets across there, you've got mattresses, you've got sheets. Um, You've got letters, normal household bin rubbish as well. And as you can see, it's it's started to decompose. Um, It's old. And we've also found letters, we've found correspondence from 2005 and numerous addresses. So it's not come from one person, it's a company who's done this. Is this a one-off, Andrew, or have you got any other examples of this happening in Lincolnshire? Well, it was a one-off until yesterday when I got a call from a farmer at Norton Disney to say he'd seen my um, videos on social media and he's found the same load in one of his field gateways yesterday morning. So it's the second one um, in, in a matter of five days in the area. So just give me the exact location of where this has happened, Andrew. This is on Lednam Heath just off the side of Lednam Bypass. So those of you who travel up the three lanes up the hill at the top of the bypass, and uh, it's just near there. Um, And and this is where it's such an easy route to, to get to. Andrew, thanks for that. And obviously, if we've got any information that comes up as a result of today, pass it on to the police, yeah? Yeah, that's right, please. And if anybody does recall back to last Wednesday night when it happened, a lorry parked up somewhere on the A17 near Lednam, please, yes, ring ring the police. They'll know exactly what you're talking about. Lednam farmer Andrew Ward. Aldi has promised never to sell chlorinated chicken or hormone-treated beef in its stores, regardless of any future deals with the US. This follows a promise made last week by Waitrose not to stock food imports that do not meet the high standards of UK farmers. And DEFRA has said penalties for small overclaims of land will be simpler and more proportionate after changes to the basic payment scheme. 
Sean Sparling has some timely and important agronomy advice for us in a moment. First, let's get an update on the potato crop. Colin Jackson, PJP Potatoes. Morning, Colin. Where are we at the moment then? How's things? Um... Obviously, a nice little bit of rain towards the end of uh, of the week, um, and that will have done a bit of good. We've sort of had somewhere in the region of about 30 mil across on this eastern side here, um, which will have done some good. You know, everything before that seemed to have just been enough to get in the top and not really down to where it needs to be. So, uh, so yeah, as far as spuds goes, very, very welcome rain. We're lifting, um, we're still on first earlies, um, just about to get into a few of the sort of second early, you know, the early chipping varieties. Um, so we've, we've cleared the, the very first, which is the Rocket um, by variety, and then we're sort of in the, the Maris Bard and, and Accords varieties like that now, which will do the the first of the uh, the chipping jobs. But we're having a bit of a clash really within the market between the the new season chipping potatoes and the old season chipping potatoes. Um, because of lockdown, obviously the chip shop trade dropped quite dramatically, so there is still a carryover of old potatoes that are suitable for fish and chip shops. Uh, so that is having an effect, unfortunately, on price of, of pushing the prices down, both of new and old season potatoes. So we might see prices drop in the chip shops then. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> well, certainly the price of spuds is going down a bit, but of course it's always the old, old thing. The price of fish is going through the roof, Governor. That's what they say. <laughs> yes, I thought so. Um, what's next then? Well, I mean, going forward, um, the the skins are still very, very loose on everything at the moment. So uh, they'll be looking to get uh, some skin set and go into the uh, packing varieties uh, shortly. So the new season um, potatoes into packing that are suitable for washing. At the moment, they're not really suitable for washing because the skins are so loose on them. Um, but uh, it won't be long, you know, within the next sort of uh, 10 days or so, we should see the uh, the first of the uh, the packing ones going for supermarket use. Again, it will have an effect of sort of clashing a little bit with the last of the old season, but that market actually less so because obviously a lot of people did go into supermarkets and buy potatoes. Um, there's much less of a carryover in the uh, in the packing sector than what there is in the um, in the chipping sector. And quality-wise, yeah, quality is good. We are seeing some issues of scab, which is brought on by the dry weather that we've had, um, particularly if people can't irrigate themselves. Um, so there is, you know, some bits of scab around on the on the skin finish, but it's nothing too serious at the moment. And, and otherwise, quality seems to be very good. Colin, many thanks as ever for that. That's Colin Jackson of PJP Potatoes. We'll get another update in about a month's time. Cheers. And you, cheers. Thanks. To agronomy now on the farming programme. Our crop doctor, Sean Sparling's here after a wet week in the fields. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. Another week of weather, another inch of rain, well over an inch in some places. Cold, wet, windy not much spraying done at all anywhere and of course while we're talking about potatoes that impacts on things like potato blight because the conditions are absolutely perfect for blight any downy mildew or any mildew is proliferating at the moment you can find downy mildew in beans moving quite quickly same pathogen um, so keep that blight interval to seven days I know I'm teaching my grandmother to suck eggs use all of the tools available to you in the box because you really do need to stay in front of potato blight because when you start following it you know you're in trouble and we can find everything out there we can find scab rhizoctonia black leg verticillium wilt wind damage it's all out there but then that 
that's the fun of being a potato grower, isn't it? So let's move on to oilseed rape then. Remember, glyphosate is not a desiccant. Diquat was a desiccant. Glyphosate is not. What it does is it's a harvest aid. You need some green in the crop in order for glyphosate to do its job. All glyphosate does is fast forward that ripening process and it will ripen in 15, 16 days rather than 20, 25 days. That's about what glyphosate does. So the seeds in the middle pods want to be mostly brown. Then that's when you go. It'll take about three weeks to take them off. But these crops are very, very variable. Some of the brown bleach crops out there, the seeds still green and some of the green crops out there the seeds gone black so you really do need to get out there and do some pulling open of pods before you make your choice but go for the middle pods and take a representative sample on plants that represent the field i've had no reports of yield whatsoever across lincolnshire i have heard that they've combined some on the cotswold brash and it's done 2.25 tons per hectare which is nowhere near enough for the oilseed rate to wipe its nose but don't go too early with that glyphosate you'll get a lot of red seeds and as we've said all year, forget the calendar. Go out there and have a look. Barley turning quickly now out there in the field. The, if we get some sunshine and some heat, they'll go very, very quickly. And I think we'll see some combines out next week um, in these winter barley fields. Um, sugar beet, yellowing showing up widely. Some of it's varietal. The old leaves normally stick up in the air and then start to fall back. So they go yellow as the older they get as the crop draws nutrient away from them. But this year, those older leaves are still sticking up in the air. So there's some varietal yellowing out there. There's some virus. There's no question about that. There's also some nutritional issues, manganese, magnesium, nitrogen, sulfur in particular. There's capsid damage. So again, get out there and have a look and don't just assume that it's virus and there's nothing you can do about it. Very, very little in the way of disease out there in sugar beet at the moment, but huge numbers of ladybirds and hoverflies out there. So that's really good to see because that's despite us having to use foliar insecticides to control the aphids that the neonicotinoid seed dressings used to do for us. Rust and downy mildew increasing in spring beans. Brooked eggs easy to find on pods. Adults still very active, so stay alert. Black aphids still increasing, but so are the ladybirds and the hoverflies and the lacewings and the wasp. So think about them if you do have to go out there and spray. Just like the beet, most of the spring bean fields have got plants as big as they're going to get for the season alongside newly emerging ones. But go with the majority of the field and take a view when it comes to spraying fungicides etc. Peas turning really really quickly now out there in the field. Manganese can still help reduce the incidence of marsh spot but pea aphids are only a real threat in peas um, from the point of view of peanation virus and direct feeding until you get four trusses set. So most peas out there, most combining peas are well past that issue of pea aphid now. Spring barley, the overlaps are starting to lean over thanks to the rain we've had and the the weight of that water on crops which are now getting towards being at their heaviest but spring barley should bounce back up if it does start to go over and I'm seeing it on overlaps especially out there in the field where fertilizer has been double dosed. Spring wheat and winter wheat levels of fusarium seem very very low levels of ergot for the time being anyway seem low in spring wheat. I'm not seeing much out there in terms of fusarium so fingers crossed that that continues and on maize these conditions may just increase the levels and the incidence of eye spot this year. So keep your eyes peeled for that as well. So the rain fills the grain. We were desperate for rain. We've now got plenty of rain. That's going to help fill those grains, fill those ears. It, they should now be filling really, really well. But now we need sunshine 
to ripen them and finish them off. So let's see what the next seven days bring. Sean, thank you. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services, back same time next week on the Farming Programme, which continues in a moment with a plan to help the environment, help the farm and help reduce flooding. We'll also take a look at the markets and prices with Kit Dickinson from Openfield. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. I love it when a plan comes together, as Hannibal Smith from the A-Team said on more than one occasion. How about when organisations come together with a plan, which benefits the environment and the farmer, as well as improving soil quality and reducing flooding? even better. Well, a collaboration between Yorkshire Water, Birdseye, Future Food Solutions and Hull and Teesside Universities, plus a group of farmers in the area called the Sustainable Landscapes Humber Project aims by getting farmers simply to plant cover crops between harvesting and sowing to do just that. I'm joined today by Steve Can, Director of Future Food Solutions, James Hopwood, Agriculture Manager at Birdseye, and Andrew Walker, Asset Strategy Manager for Yorkshire Water. Morning. Thanks for joining us uh, on the Farming Programme. The Sustainable Landscape Humber Project, can you first of all just give us a quick summary of the scheme? What does it do? Basically, we're looking at a variety of different outcomes that can be achieved through um, collaborating uh, with the food and drink supply chain, um, starting with, with bird's eye food and the peas, um, which is uh, quite a unique supply chain set up within uh, the Humber catchment. But we're trying to challenge in a constructive way whether existing farming practices um, could be made more um, environmentally sustainable, but also more profitable by doing things um, a bit more laterally. And we're talking about doing this by the growing of cover crops between harvesting and sowing. How does that help? Basically, cover crops um, are an amazing way to to mop up um, nutrients that might otherwise end up in the groundwater. Um, Those, the nitrogen, if you're looking at an average nitrogen efficiency of 50%, you know, what happens to that other 50% is either goes uh, down into groundwater um, or or up into the atmosphere. So what the cover crops do, it's an excellent way of of storing that, um, that nitrogen uh, but they're also fixing carbon um, from the atmosphere and building that in, in terms of soil organic matter and soil carbon um, within the soil. It improves the soil structure and, and basically helps the following crop, if you like, benefit from that um, excess nitrogen that it's managed to capture. And presumably sequestering carbon as well. Absolutely. The article talks particularly about peas. Is it just relevant for pea growers or does it apply to any crop grower? Now, the, the real benefit of this project is uh, because James knows all of the farmers that supply him, you know, Bert, I have influence over around 100,000 hectares of land in the Holland Holderness area. But the same people uh, that are growing peas for James, with it being on, in a one, one in six or one in seven year rotation, are also growing uh, wheat for um, William Jackson Food Group, for example, or even Nomad Foods themselves, or, or barley for Heineken. So we've, we've got um, pretty much all of the food and drink supply chain engaged within this programme. Um, so it's not about particularly making sustainable pea farmers. It's about making farming more sustainable, more resilient and crucially more profitable whilst delivering a range uh, of different um, ecosystem services, I think we used to call them, 
Now, this is an exciting collaboration between numerous parties, Yorkshire Water, Future Food Solutions, Holland Teesside Universities and a group of farmers and Birdseye. James Hopwood, UK Agriculture Manager at Birdseye, joins us now. James, what has been your part of the collaboration? Uh, We have a long, long history and heritage with our grower base, uh, 250 growers uh, spanning on a 40, 45 mile radius from the factory, the freezing plant in Hull. Uh, actually, next year will be our 75th uh, anniversary of working with uh, growers across the region. Uh, but certainly in, uh, you know, in recent years, the focus on sustainability and sustainable uh, agricultural uh, uh, production has really, uh, has really increased. And, and we've gone through a journey working with LEAF, uh, and aligning with the uh, the FSA uh, and the Sustainable Agriculture Initiative uh, to really drive forward. So this is really the next step in the evolution of our uh, sustainable production journey. And Steve Can from Future Food Solutions, what's your involvement in the project? We we are we are facilitating the conversation with the farmers. We we um, are out talking to farmers. We are undertaking soil tests. We are. Um, we're undertaking uh, biomass samples, taking biomass samples from cover crops that are grown. We are facilitating the whole program. We, we're, we're the sort of we're the glue that, that, that makes the program work currently. And what are the farmers saying uh, to to this project? Farmers are, are really are really interested in it. I think I think the um, I think maybe maybe the game changer was going you know going back to um, was it COP twenty one the Paris Agreement when they started talking about you know how they could you know, the agreement around managing climate change that that put carbon on the agenda and I think carbon coming on the agenda is is a real opportunity for farmers going forward so um, you know from 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 our perspective it, it changed the whole dialogue climate change and and carbon now bring this really into the into the sort of opportunity area for farmers. So we've got a tick in the area of carbon, we've got a tick in the area of improving soil quality. Andrew, with your Yorkshire water hat on, um, there is an advantage in terms of flood prevention to this scheme as well, isn't there? We hope so. Um, Yorkshire water um, is um, a part of the Living With Water um, project in, in Hull. Uh, which is looking with the East Riding uh, and Hull City Councils that try to mitigate the impacts of flooding in the city of Hull itself. Uh, Birdseye's factory, for example, sits in the middle of Hull and it's below sea level. Um, so uh, there's um, a potential benefit to, to Birdseye in terms of their operations in reducing flooding. But Hull is one of five cities in the world that's been identified as having either too much or too little water. It has too much. So the Living With Water Partnership is looking at how to use infrastructure more efficiently and more effectively. What we're saying is, do you know what, by working with farmers to, to store water in the catchment, we can really help reduce that and use the catchment as a sponge uh, to, to sort of mop up some of those heavy rain, some rain events um, and reduce the amount of flooding. So if you look at what we're trying to achieve through the um, increase in soil organic matter, for every 1% increase in soil organic matter, you can increase the water holding capacity per hectare by 200 tonnes. Uh, so when you're looking over potentially 100,000 hectares of land, and we're looking maybe 1, 2, 3, 4% possibly increase in soil organic matter uh, over a number of years, we could really use the catchment more effectively to store water.
Um, but it's not going to be stored water on the top. It's not ponding. It's actually held within the soil structure. So if we have, um, you know, wetter weather, there's more capacity in the soil to hold that water. If we have drier weather, because the water's held onto the organic content within the soil, it's available for the farmers and, and his crops. So everybody wins, really. James Hopwood, where are we now? What's next? And when might we see some results from this project? Well, as of, uh, as of Monday, the, uh, the 6th of, uh, of July, we started to drill the cover crops, which is a great moment to really make the uh, you know, tangible start to the activity and get going. So, uh, so the drill started to roll out post peas as the peas have been harvested. Uh, we're looking at just uh, in the region of 1,000 acres of cover crops uh, being planted this year, some of which will be post the pea crop uh, in 2020, uh, and some will be pre the pea crop in 2021. Andrew? We'll be able to measure the amount of carbon uh, that's been stored through that seven, eight-week period uh, of time. Improving the soil organic matter, um, that can take uh, a bit longer, uh, but it's certainly shorter than um, current academic research might suggest. I, I think um, academia um, and, and science have said, well, you can't improve soil organic matter that quickly. Um, we've, we've demonstrated that actually you can, um, and that's mainly around growing uh, multivariant cover crops rather than um, single seed varieties. Steve Can, Future Food Solutions. What about the farmers in this collaboration? We just think there's a real opportunity in this. I mean, the fact that we've now got utility utility companies talking to talking to farmers, talking to uh, global brands with a with a food and drink focus. There's there, been a lot of change latterly. I mean. Brexit will change the way that, 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 that businesses operate, the way that they, the way they, 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 they procure products will change. And I think you'll start to get a more localised effect. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking there's going to be a bigger opportunity for Lincolnshire farmers, for, 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 for people who actually have the ability to um, add value, to potentially increase their um, ability to... Um, sequester carbon will be something that brands are now looking for. That that COP21 agreement changed the whole thing. You know, it's on the agenda. Carbon's on the agenda now for these brands, and there's an opportunity for farmers to, to, to really play a part in that story. And all this from growing cover crops between harvesting and sowing. Andrew Walker from Yorkshire Water, Steve Can, Future Food Solutions, and James Hopwood from Birdseye. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today on the Farming Programme. If you want to learn more about the project, just search out Sustainable Landscapes Humber. To the markets and prices now, Kit's here from Open Field. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. This week, we have had a USDA report and a rise in Matif French values. France have experienced lower yields, and the expected drop was forecast by 8 million tonnes, and this is helping to hold their values up. Another factor on the back of this was the wet weather over in America, and Chicago reacted accordingly with a rise in values. The UK reacted to this on Wednesday, and values remained the same throughout the week. November feed wheat X the farm is now over £170 a tonne. Given the lower yield we are expecting in the UK and the fact that maize is cheap to import, it is likely maize will be the cheaper replacement for wheat. If this comes into effect, then the likelihood is that our feed value will drop and come in line with the imported maize values. At present, it looks like milling premiums will stay the same, but there is no guarantee of this until we have an accurate idea of what is coming off the combine in terms of yield and quality. 
As well as the French data this week, we also saw an update from the AHDB confirming the planted area for the UK. We probably knew much of this already. Winter wheat lower by 25%, winter barley lower by 34%, and winter allseed rape down by 24%. So looking at allseed rape, there have been reports coming out of France with extremely mixed reports in terms of yield. This is what we expect when we get going in the UK. I have heard some extremely disappointing yields on rape so far, but it has been better on barley. No record breakers, but okay considering the season that we have had. Rapeseed is not going to be quite so easy at harvest, with Irith still in a muddle and way behind moving old crop rape to stores and ports. Where does the new crop physically go at harvest? We are going to be very much relying on stores for physical spot and immediate movement. We do have sales into Irith, but we need to be realistic on when this is actually going to happen. It is likely that we will see the all-seed rape harvest start next week in Lincolnshire. Good weather window and the majority of the rape sprayed off, we should have a better idea of yield and quality this time next week. Little to report on the, on the barley front this week. Still concerns over where the quantity of barley will go at harvest, whether it be going into store or straight to the domestic consumer. At the moment, export sales are limited. Moving on to prices, feed wheat, July 161 to 163, August 164 to 166, November 169 to 171, February 171 to 173, and May 21, 174 to 176. Milling wheat premiums are currently 25 to 27 pounds. Oilseed rape values, July 322 to 324, staying the same for August at 322 to 324. Moving higher, November 331 to 333, February 334 to 336, May 337 to 339. Feed barley for July is 123 to 125, August 124 to 126, November 131 to 133, February 134 to 136, and May 21, 138 to 140. For malting premiums, please get in touch with your Open Field Farm Business Manager. Thank you very much. Many thanks, Kit. That's Kit Dickinson from Open Field back with a report on the prices and the markets same time next week on The Farming Programme. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. So, after a pretty damp week, what's the weather going to do to us this week? High pressure today and tomorrow, a fine dry Sunday, but more heavy cloud in the early part of the week and some rain through the middle of the week, brightening up again on Thursday and Friday. It's calm and dry today with some sunny spells, dry with a high of 19 Celsius this afternoon. Monday will be mostly cloudy but staying dry with a light breeze from the southwest. Highs just about hitting 20 Celsius tomorrow. Tuesday brings some more rain, maybe 5 or 6 millimetres, again with a light breeze, this time a bit more westerly and similar temperatures to Monday. The wind stays mostly westerly for the rest of the week, light with top speeds around 10 or 12 miles per hour. A little rain on Wednesday but dry for the end of the week. Temperatures in the upper teens a degree or two higher on Thursday and Friday. Well, that's it for a packed farming programme for another week. If you missed anything or if you want to listen again, it's now available on the website, the app and from wherever you get your podcast. I'm Steve Orchard, back same time next week and as the combines start to lumber into the first fields for Harvest 2020, stay safe, stay positive and have a good farming week.